Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, we've all got to get along, even if it kills us. Because the downtown clown and the Beverly Hills WAP... That would be your check-in for late 80s casual racism. Well, they need our help to beat a phony rap. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the 86th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. And if I could have a moment, listeners, I'd just like to say one thing. Uh, I've been a podcaster for two years, and I think it's the best medium for entertainment in the country. At times, I've been accused of being too aggressive when making jokes about Estelle Getty's libido. Well, if that's a sin, then I guess I'm guilty. All the co-hosts I've worked with are good dudes. They're doing a tough job. And I only hope that the outcome of this episode is such that the whole show is not judged by what has transpired here. Thank you. Well, I must say... Wait, wait, wait. No, no, Chumzilla. We're we're fine. No, no, no. I must say, Mr. Wizard has uh, spoken very eloquently here. And I wish I could be as forgiving. But I can't. Because this whole thing fucking sucks. I mean, this is the biggest pile of shit I've ever... Okay, well, I guess the cat is out of the bag or the mouse is out of the maze if you're Eve's Perret. Uh, we're doing Tango and Cash. And in addition to Chumpsilla, who you've just heard from, along with me are Brian James's Cockney accent, Captain Cash. Oh, my accent's slipping. Good to be here, everybody. Uh, so bad. It's not... It's Hello, like a, governor. It's, it's literally, it's like he took speech classes from whoever uh, whoever taught Dick Van Dyke on on Mary Poppins. Yeah, like, uh, oh, yeah, that Dick Van Dyke, he did that good. I'll just do that. I couldn't find a definitive reason as to why he had the accent, but I do know that Stallone yeah. liked the accent so much. They they're like, we need more of this guy. We give me more of that accent. Yeah, Where that, that makes it worldly. Wait, wait a minute. Yep, we, we've also got Mayor McCheese. In a movie full of one-liners, I'm completely out of one-liners. Howdy, everyone. And uh, lastly, special guest, returning special guest from the Double Turn podcast, my man J-Man. Yo, what's going on, fellas? Let's hope that I don't have another kidney stone to deal with like I did last time. Yeah, that Truly. was brutal, dog. Yeah, the best excuse not to podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that is a solid, legitimate excuse to skip. Yeah, you know, it, it was unfortunate because we were literally intros worth in, and then I was like, "I'm dying, I gotta go." And so, but it's great to be back, fellas. It's it, I, I hope you all had a lovely, lovely Thanksgiving. So, so would you say me. doing this podcast is more or less painful than passing a kidney stone? I kind of figured equal. Um. I think I would say the kidney stone is just a smidge below this. Just a yeah. smidge. Smidge. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> That's right what on. we strive for. Points of order. You can find our show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Flops. You can find myself on Twitter at WriterTLK. 
Captain Cash, where can they find you? C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. Chumpzilla. You can find me on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. And Mayor McCheese. You can find me at HBOF McCheese. Now, I'm going to give J-Man a little more room because give us a little background on your podcast as well as where people can find it. Sure. Um, well, the Double Turn podcast, myself and my co-host, Boss Ross, who is unfortunately able, not able to be with us this evening, um, but has been with us on this show in the past. He's awesome. Um, we do a professional wrestling podcast. Um, been doing it for about two and a half years now. And you can basically find it most places, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, um, Breaker, the Anchor app, uh, CastBox, Pocket Cast, um, anywhere basically, and we will be there. Um, currently, we've been doing what we like to call the Double Turns Classic Series, where we have been focusing on multiple matches from uh, the same opponents or uh, similar types of uh, wrestling matches, and we've been reviewing them. We've been doing that since April due to the pandemic because it's kind of hard to go ahead and watch wrestling without any fans, of course. But um, yeah, so that 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 is basically the gist of our podcast. And if you are interested in wrestling, please give it a listen. Uh, the Thunderous Wizard has been on with us for a multitude of on a multitude of episodes, which we always appreciate. We actually, uh, Thunderous Wizard and I just did an Undertaker special that got dropped a couple of weeks back um, in honor of his retirement. So please, please, please go check that episode out because it's actually worth your while. Uh, the Wizard killed as always and you can find me at the one and only jman19 on instagram you can find the double turn at the double turn podcast on instagram and also you can find my co-host boss ross at um ross the real boss 85 and boss ross tdt on twitter now i have to cut in here tw and ask did you let them know about how when we were kids we constantly challenged each other and our friend ck to Buried alive matches. Buried alive. Buried sort of a, alive. Like a threat you'd make basically like three to four days a week. Like if, if somebody had like annoyed you in some way, you would challenge them to a buried alive match. And of course, McCheese used to carry around a friggin' Mr. Sacco, so <laughs> that that tracks. Yeah. I didn't know true. that about McCheese, but I can completely believe it. Here Se- right now. Second, well, 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 second, second quick, quick side story since we're delving down the wrestling rabbit hole. My brother <clears throat> for a while lived in Lima, Ohio and he got to work out with the one and only head, head, head. And he got me an autographed head from um, oh god. Al Snow? Al yeah, Al Snow. Snow. That's awesome. He said, and he said Al Snow was the nicest dude, but he'd be in the gym and Al'd be like, hey man, can you spot me? And he'd look at the bench and be like, I can't, I can't fucking lift that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, he, he got he got a couple signed heads and gave them out to me and a couple of his friends. Brilliant, brilliant, McCheese. But don't let this distract you from the fact that 1998, The Undertaker threw mankind off Hell in a Cell and plummeted 16 feet through an announcer's table. Yes, that is and, absolutely uh, correct. Yep. The Spanish announcer's table. That be. was one of my uh, top five taker matches simply for the spectacle of watching a grown man be thrown off a cell yep. and then through a cell and then continue 100%. to fight <laughs> with a, you with know a what, tooth in his nose. The tooth in his nose, uh, a busted up ear, and not to mention about five or six minutes later got then dropped through the cell unplanned and landed smack in the middle of the ring. And that ring did not budge. 
that was brutal. And that's why McFoley is a guy. It was. He's awesome. So, I love McFoley. Yeah. Back to Tango and Cash because there's nothing as remotely interesting as watching a grown man wrestle with his own tooth in his nostril. Although it is a lot of fun. Uh, Tango Cash is available to rent just about any platform. I own it, of course. I say this a lot. Everybody should own Tango and Cash. It's just true. <laughs> stop. Just stop it. Yeah. You right, should own right. it. I mean, I bought it for $5. Yeah, this is also a at a gas station? No, it's, it's not at a gas, a gas station, station this movie. Time. It's definitely a gas station movie. Don't go but, out and pay $20 for this. But yeah. I don't know I feel like that. this is a movie you can acquire by performing certain favors behind the gas station. Just saying. And let's be fair. Mostly over the pants favors, because it's just, it's not that intense. That's a good point. It's all a dry hump. I get you completely. Um, I would say that Tango and Cash deserves a little bit more respect than um, Gas Station $4 movie. I would buy it for $10 from Best Buy. Maybe. Maybe. $10. You know, I'll just say this: you're really edition. dating yourself when you talk about buying physical media at a Best Buy. Yeah, are we talking ten nowadays dollars or ten two thousand odd dollars? Uh, I'd say now, maybe. Nah, no, that's a lie. I think I'd go ahead and spend six. I'd said I'd say six because I think it costs like seven. Costs like but seven problem, on Amazon. The problem is the six isn't worth it because you have to go into a Best Buy and get hassled by every pretty much airport salesman. Now it's like, hey man, you got a cell phone? Yeah, I'm the only ah, dude left in the country who doesn't have. But a Mr. Cell Bayer, phone. this is this is why you order it online on BestBuy.com. So you can be the I, dude who has to drive up to the store for them to toss Tango and Cash into your backseat. I will just I, tell you this: <laughs> when you when you go into your cart to check out, and you try and give them ten dollars for something that's three ninety nine. They're going to be really confused because that's how much Tango Cash is probably going for. But anyways, tonight we are drinking uh, Weapons Check, which is a red ale from 1912 Brewing Company in Tucson, Arizona. So local beer for me. Uh, I'm going to crack one right now. And uh, cheers. So weapons check is 4.7 ABV, so it's too weak Ah. for the likes of Captain Cash. But if you enjoy a fine red ale, I think this is a pretty good one, and I recommend it. So how many bad movies would I be willing to sit through while drinking this? At 4.7, and it's a red ale, I would say all three. That's just me. But I guess it depends on your love or hate for red ales. Mm. I mean, they're decent. And at 4.7... Yeah, and at 4.7, I think you can pull that off. Yeah, so let's get into this movie. As much as I love this movie, there's a lot to talk about because this movie was a mess. It was directed by Andre Konchalovsky, sort of. Yeah, I was going to say, a quarter of it was, yeah. maybe. We're going to talk more about that when we get through the plot because there's a lot to discuss, and I'm sort of curious whether or not you felt it affected the film. It stars Sylvester I knew you'd say that, Stallone, as Ray Tango. Wait, 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 wait. Let, let me jump in here. Because you're using a tagline from a different Stallone movie. What, like, in a film that is ostensibly nothing but one-liners, what was his one-liner here? Well, he says Rambo's I don't know. A pussy. Genetics? Pee-wee? Rambo's, Rambo's a pussy. pussy. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's what I'm yeah, yeah. 
It's, uh, oh, look, it's snowing. Or, nice of you to drop in. You like jewelry? And then he's like, what he says, like, fuck, fuck me or something. He's like, I prefer blondes. I prefer blondes. Yeah. yeah. The I whole movie say... is a series of one-liners, like, escalating to the point of absurdity. But that's yes. the thing. None of it sticks in the way, like, there's no one-liner here like any line Schwarzenegger gives in Predator. No. It, it, it'll come up later, but I think what really stuck out to me is that in a movie full of one-liners, then ordered to patch together the different scenes, they had to dub over like additional dialogue during the transitions. And you can clearly tell that it's a different audio recording because the sound quality changes. Mm. And it's like, they had to like basically dub in additional one-liners just to act as transition pieces. Yep. Save that because <laughs> I want you to bring that up when okay. we get to that specific question. Um, right, fair, fair, fair. So you've got Kurt, me, I'm Jack Burton, Russell as Gabriel Cash, uh, Jack Curly Palance as Eves Perret, I don't know why they gave him a French name, but hell, let's just go with it. You've got Terry Lois Lane Hatcher as Catherine Kiki Tango. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. L- listen, if Patrick Stewart can play Jean-Luc Picard, I see no reason Jack Palance can't be Ease Perret. Well, that's the future. They have a weird space. thing for rats. Yeah. Here you go. And Jack Palance's daughter was married to the guy that directed Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. It's, it's oh not the most offensive casting choice. The uh, guy that plays the Hispanic gangster is from Milwaukee. So you could be Hispanic and from Milwaukee. He's not. I looked it up. <laughs> Still? Uh, he, he's a the point stands. Oh, no. His name is Mark Alimo. He's not. He's from Milwaukee, born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And his, what is his name in this? Lopez! I know the dude it. with the massive jaw. No, no, no that's jaw or yeah. face. 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 That's Robert Zadar. Yeah. That's a genetic thing. It's not plastic surgery for the record. Yeah, yeah no. no, he just has that face. So, Chumso, if you want to tell us where the accent came from now, you've got... Brian, who should we blame this accent for aside from Stallone? Is there other? Oh, well, you basically covered it. I think he got this part and he knew he was going to be in this movie with Stallone and Kurt Russell. And he felt like he needed to do something to make his character more memorable. So he just kind of, you know, winged it and said, hey, I think a Cockney accent would make this character more interesting. And Stallone loved it and said, that's great. I want more of that in my movie. So he rewrote the script to feature the ponytail guy more, which pissed off Curly because Curly thought he yes. was the main bad guy. So I just thought that was really funny that just basically on a whim, the actor made a choice to try to be more memorable to the stars, and it completely shifted the direction of the movie. It totally and does. And it wasn't cause... even a good accent. I no, mean, even no, Val Kilmer blushed at that. There's people in this movie, uh, for one, Jack Palance, and based on editing, Yes, they're in a scene together, him and Sloan. They were supposed to share multiple scenes together, three like big scenes. And instead, he's sort of relegated to sitting in a shadowy room like the Shredder with multiple TVs, like speaking in, you know, silly villain platitudes. And Benny the Jet Bjorkas, or what Bjorkas, I'd have to look up his last name. I know I'm butchering this, but he is a kickboxer. He's a stuntman, right? He's worked all over Hollywood, he's in all kinds of movies. You only see him once in the movie, even though Stallone f- 
fights a guy who's doing primarily martial arts at the end of the movie, and it's not Benny the Jet. He just appears behind Jack Palance in the prison scene where he emerges from the shadows. Don't ask me how they all got into this prison to torture them in the uh, laundry room. We're going to get there. Yeah, with the, we'll, But we'll get there. But yeah. Who else is in this thing? So along with Brian James, uh, who was, of course, the Cockney guy, you've got James, crazy little basket case on wheels, Hong as Quan. Put, put more respect on that. James Hong is a veteran actor who is great in everything he's in. Literally has probably the most IMDb credits I've ever seen to one person's name. And he's yeah, a national Lopez. Treasure. We got Lopan in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, right? Lopez. If he would have said Lopan, I would have shit my pants at that moment. <laughs> uh, you've got Jeffrey Double Impact Lewis as Captain Schroeder. He's uncredited, by the way. I think we know why. <laughs> That's Tango's boss. Also, he's wearing a horrific wig. His that wig. mustache was something else, by the way. Yeah, also not real. <laughs> and then you've got uh, Clint Slinky Howard as well. Slinky, that's his name in IMDb. His name is Slinky. So uh, so is it fair to say that Clint Howard was Steve Buscemi before Steve Buscemi? Like, hey, can we just get a weird guy to look weird? Yeah, get Clint Howard. No, you're really, you're underselling Steve Buscemi way too hard with that. Because he's like I a agree. legit fantastic actor. And, not that oh, Clint Howard's yeah, not but a for, good actor. For a while, though, he was typecast the same thing. It's Clint, like, hey, meet a weird guy with the bug eyes. Let's get him. Clint Howard's also in a movie called Ticks with giant ticks. So, I'm going to guess that Patrick Warburton is not in that one. No. I would like to thank you no, for describing that, that movie because I was very confused by the title. Yeah, Seth Green also in that. Uh, there's other recognizable faces here, particularly if you're a fan of like late 80s, early 90s cinema. Anyway, Tango and Cash. On a $55 million budget, $20 million over its actual budget, grossed $120.4 million worldwide, uh, probably because of how hard they advertised for this and the fact that this got to screens basically a week after it was done being edited. Uh, it wasn't a great return at the box office, but it did crush on home media sales. And it was also, yeah. I mean, syndicated for years and years and years, so... It's probably more successful, but it was horribly reviewed. Yeah, it was not like it was made fun of a lot. Yeah, uh, well, it'll come up later, but this yes. felt immediately like a Frankenstein movie. Oh, it definitely does. And we are going to get yeah. to that later. So one thing is clear, as I said, critics hated it. It's still at 30% on Rotten Tomatoes with 47 reviews. Uh, it's probably debatable, and I'm going to ask you later whether you think it deserves cult status. I sit firmly on one side of that argument. Uh, before we get there, though, I am curious how each of you would describe this movie in one sentence. We'll start with our guest, the J-Man. Um, <clears throat> Tango and Cash, starring Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell, is the type of concoction that happens when your executive producer meddles way, 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 way too much with the director. Captain Cash? Uh, I would describe this as, what if you did The Expendables, but there was only two of them, and they were still young and not old and sad. <laughs> okay, now you're the one underselling James Hong. Don't be ageist to my favorite crew of elderly people who kick ass and take <laughs> my, names, please. My, my geriatric <laughs> team of people that were super cool in the 80s and early 90s. Yes. Are, are we talking about Estelle Getty again? Oh my gosh, don't get we me on Getty. We are always talking about Estelle Getty. Listen, 
We need hashtag get it can get it. I, I want t-shirts that say hops and box office flops, hashtag get it can get it, and then just Is uh, it okay if we do a tally mark as to how many times Captain Cash gets off on Estelle Getty on this podcast tonight? This, yeah, how many this single podcast tonight? Because just with my tonight. refractory period being what it is, it's gonna be three max. I can tell you this. If they would have cast Getty as Tango's mom that happens to work in a sultry club, this sells Roughly $150 million more worth of tickets. There is, there, is, there is a McCheese mashup movie we can do here with Estelle Getty and Diane Lane and Rob Schneider and this casting crew. Tootie and Cash? Tootie and Tango and Cash. Yeah. Might work. What was Rob Schneider's dumb name from Judge Dredd? Fergie. Fergie. No, I can't work that in. Yeah, can't that's, do Tootie and Fergie that's to tough. me. But, so... <clears throat> Captain Cash, you brought up the expendables here. Uh, fun fact, Stallone offered the role of, I think it's Mr. Church, yeah, to, to Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell, but he didn't take it, so it went to Bruce Willis. Willis. Small world. And, you know, it's interesting. I think Kurt Russell would have killed it as Mr. Church. I mean, especially considering the fact that his, I can't remember his name right now, but his role in Furious 7 and Fate of the Furious is, um, is, is, the is same, very similar. Is the same character. Yeah. 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 All right. So how would you describe it, Chubzilla? <clears throat> Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone star as a mismatched buddy cop duo in John Peters' extravaganza, Tango and Cash. I'm basically going along the same lines as J-Man here. Yeah, John Peters' tacky-ass fingerprints are all over this movie. We were this close to a giant spider in the third act, you guys. Well, we got Which, something. They were trying to there. I, Man, I can tell you right good. now, there were production assistants with hot glue guns trying to figure out how to get legs on that SUV at the end. <laughs> Dude, okay, let me tell you something about that SUV really quickly because I'm a, I'm a, I'm an actually, I'm a big auto just automotive fan. I like, I love cars. Um, I know cash captain cash isn't about cars and neither is the thunderous wizard. Um, but it pissed me off actually. The fact that they had that SUV set up the way that they did, because I was like, yo, this is 1989. Like this is supposed to be a realistic buddy cop movie. Why is this here? It was dumb as all hell. Like it completely, it, I would have. I thought that I was about it, and I was like watching it, and it looks cool. But then at the same time, I'm like, I'm watching Back to the Future, but rated R. Well, and, I mean, they really phoned it in on the car, and it's almost like those tiny little like finger skateboards you see, where it could have just been a micro machine, and they launched it over some cliffs with the fireworks going off below it, and you're like, okay, <laughs> that's it, that's our movie. So, so Jay, man, did you recognize the silhouette of the windshield? No, I didn't. Think about all those uh, minivans from the late 80s, early 90s, like the Chevy Lumina version. Like and there was a Pontiac version. They were like those, they call them like, they're like a trapezoid. They're like a dust buster. Those dust buster minivans with the kind of long nose and that sloped windshield. Because yes. that was a, that was a GM prototype that they like Frankenstein. That was, yeah, I'm pretty sure like that was a, uh, a Chevy two-door t- or uh, a Chevy Blazer. Yeah, it was, it was like a blazer prototype yeah. or something. But yeah, it's got the same windshield profile as aluminum minivan. Terrible. <laughs> and like as soon as I – because uh, listeners, this is the first time that uh, old Uncle Chumpzilla had watched Tango and Cash. I had never seen this movie before. Shame. And 
So when I saw that, I was like, what the hell? And of course I had to go, you know, dig up some dirt on it. And I was like, yes, okay, that's exactly what I thought it was. That looked like one of those old minivans. So after the first hour, did you call your doctor about your erection that wouldn't go down? <laughs> yeah, it's not four hours long, so I was still good. <laughs> Just double check. You didn't watch it like three times in a row, because I often do that. So no, no, no. At 104 minutes once was enough. Because honestly, guys, this is like three movies in one. It's a lot of something. Well, yeah. Uh, All right, my one-liner yeah. quickly. What What do you get when you combine nonstop action, nonstop one-liners, full-on man ass shots, a great Kurt Russell, and an okay Stallone, Tango and Cash? Yeah, fair. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, so I, you know, I guess I would say. What if you watched 40 of the greatest action buddy comedies of all time and not once did you fucking fathom what made them great? Now, I say that, I love this movie, but it is just a mishmash of all people's better ideas and does not execute any of them particularly well. Is this like one of those Twitter Reddit jokes where it's like, I made a bot watch 40 buddy cop comedies and then write a script and tango and cash. Yeah. No, and I'm like dead serious when I say this. Obviously, Last Action Hero makes fun of a lot of action tropes. Tango and cash is committing all of those tropes with zero self-awareness that it's doing. Dead faced seriousness. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this, it does wink at the camera just enough that you know you don't have to take it 100% serious. Yeah. Uh, but like, it, 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 cause it tries to be serious at times, don't get me wrong, but you're never like completely blown away. The closest, I think, is definitely, as J-Man pointed out, when it goes all James Bond and they get their, like, their, their super SUV, it's kind of like, oh, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> like wait what what movie am i watching again and then it just kind of turns into explosions and and and, and stuff and it's and, and machine gun fire like okay okay now i know i'm still in the same movie but, but but for the most part the rest of it is just hammy enough and they wink at you and hey we're all we're all in this together we're on the same page yeah but at the same time i don't know if i 100 percent agree with that because you get like almost a semi-serious torture scene where they're in the prison they're getting dunked in the water and whatnot. And I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, but you're bouncing back and forth between like a nothing but one-liner jokes like, I'm the stuck-up cop, and I'm the wild and crazy cop. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah. face is over yeah. here, and they're going to shock your balls off. Yeah, let's let's save it because I do – I don't want to – I want to get into the plot, and I'm going to speed through the plot, but I am yeah, let's go. pretty open to if you want to discuss some of the insane things that happen in this movie because there's – a plethora of them, but the actual description is framed by their ruthless arch nemesis, who they've never met, so they have no idea this is their arch nemesis. <laughs> a mismatched, L- they even use mismatched in the description. LAPD crime fighting duo has to put its differences aside to even the score with the evil kingpin who put them behind bars once and for all. So here is the plot of the film. Again, I'm going to speed through it. So if there's things that struck you, like, for example, Gabriel Cash walking into a uh, weird experimental weapons facility, even though he's a wanted felon at yeah, the LAPD's I had a lot headquarters, of questions about that. you know, feel free to bring it up. Uh, so cool. Ray Tango 
and Gabriel Cash are two badass cops on opposite sides of the L.A. track. Tango, Stallone, is introduced during a highway chase that's outside his jurisdiction, but he doesn't care. We know he's tough because he lets us know that Rambo's a pussy. By shooting a (laughs) gas tank that pours out cocaine from the side of the car, and it's very obviously sugar. And then he does the classic 80s trope of he licks the cocaine. Like, is this yeah, cocaine? Oh, yep, definitely drugs, cocaine. Yeah. <clears throat> so wait, I have a question about that scene, Thunderous Wizard. Yeah. So he, yeah. He, he speeds ahead of the tanker truck. Way, way uh, ahead, even though he was having a lot of difficulty passing it. <laughs> and, and J-Man, what model of Cadillac was that? Was that the Cimarron? I no, that, um, it, I think it, I read it was a Cadillac Alante. It was brand new for the late 80s. So yeah. it looks like Jim had a big deal with Warner Brothers yes. trying to go out and get their new vehicles on, on screen. You get the, yeah, the, the GM product placement there right up front. Speeds out ahead of the thing, uh, the tanker truck, whips the car to the side, stops him on the road, gets out, dumps out his revolver, reloads it with special bullets, I'm assuming, and he, then he proceeds to fire a couple of warning shots into the cabin of the truck through the windshield. And then the third shot, wh- what does he, does, does he actually stop the truck or does he just scare the guys into braking? I think he scares the guys into braking. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I didn't follow that. I'm like, like, I thought he was trying to shoot out the engine block and the thing was going to like, you know, come to a halt in front of him. But they just get spooked so bad they don't run him over. I I, I don't get it. it. That 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 first scene didn't make a lick of sense. And not to mention, you've got the trope of the hey, it's not your jurisdiction, you know, back off. And Stallone's like the loose cannon, but he's not the loose cannon. He's the straight man. So that whole opening scene confused the hell out of me uh, as a first time viewer, and I believe rightly so. To be fair, they both wanted to be the marauding badass and i think stallone was like well no why can't my guy do that so i think that was part of it It, it's not bad action except for when the guys do come crashing through the windshield of the truck it's clearly like plate glass movie glass glass. (laughs) it's not like the safety glass stuff it should have like you know maybe hey i don't know maybe this is the 80s and they don't have safety glass and windshields yet but i'm pretty sure they do but yeah one hold on a second Two, I might have missed it because I was gone for a second. Did we talk about the fact that he stopped the semi with the world's tiniest gun? Not Uh, yet. Yeah, sort of. That he has. No, the gun didn't stop the semi. The guys shit their pants and break so hard they ejected themselves. That's Stallone is the you know he's one of the two main action stars, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. Kurt Russell's gun, and Stallone throughout the entire movie chooses to pick the. Saturday Night Purse special, the smallest gun you can carry. Yeah, he, he and has it's a, a 1980s gun. movie. If you learn anything from Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, they just hide guns all over the police station. You can pick up any gun anywhere. Literally, um, that happens in this movie. Kurt <laughs> Russell keeps his guns in his desk and his locker and then wonders, like, oh, who messed with my stuff? Why is your gun in your unlocked drawer of your desk? With your candy. It's the, it's the late 80s, yeah. He's, he's got a shitload of Jolly Ranchers in his, his cannon. Uh, if I can just bring up one the interesting thing that I noticed last night, and it kept on playing in my head. So it, during the beginning of the scene, um, when they're telling him, when they're telling Tango, hey, you're out of your jurisdiction, 
He says, no way, I'm not letting this go because he's been on this case for three months, right? And then you look and the truck drivers, the way that everything that all goes down, they're portrayed to look to essentially like really big dumbasses. So I asked the panel here, gentlemen, does that mean that Ray Tango is actually legitimately a dumbass as well because it took him three months to crack a case where the two dumbasses are as dumb as they look? Well, no, because the whole like basis is when Eve sprays like, Ray Tango, he waltzes in and then Tango's back out. And he explains like how he's been busting his like gun operation, his drug. So like he's been getting this guy all over the place. And this is just okay. the latest. Besides, I mean, during the prison break, which we'll get to, the guy with the giant jaw is apparently so trusted that he's leading the crew of guards on the pursuit of the two fugitives. <laughs> all right fair play fair play all right, uh, let's continue yeah. and you're gonna insist that this is a good movie oh no all I, right let's I, go i am so we Cash. can talk about it at the end this is this falls into another what kind of beers are you drinking here sort of camp but let's save that for later that's yeah fair. so gabriel cash that's kurt russell is introduced when an asian hitman attempts to murder him in his own apartment again this is a scene that Last Action Hero directly makes fun of as this guy bursts through his glass door. It's a window that somehow, like, or not a window, it's a mirror that yeah. he shoots through. Like, that's not how mirrors or doors work at he, all. He literally does that in Last Action Hero. So anyway, we know Cash is tough because he has a gun in his shoe. <laughs> not like... <laughs> In his shoe, like a gun he keeps in his shoe. His shoe is a gun. Yeah, it's he's got gun shoes, and it's uh, on, yeah. it's on the bottom of his shoe. Yeah, this is a naked gun, thirty-three and a third sort of gag. Yeah, it's built specifically. <laughs> if someone is trying to throw you out of your window, you can fight back. I've done a lot of planning in my days, and I've never been a cop, but I don't think I've ever sat through a situation where I'm like, you know what? I'm probably going to need the gun shoe tonight. I'm going to put the gun shoe on. Yeah. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, I might need to shoot someone through the heel of my boot. What if you... By the way, how, how does how does he actually set set it off? Like, does is it like a kick and then... No idea. I or... imagine there's a trigger on his yeah. toe. I was clearly not paying any sort of attention because I didn't notice it other than that it shot out the front of his shoe and then I started laughing hysterically. I'm curious... If he's like running, like you know, then he chases this guy all through this parking garage. Hey, there's no way you don't Jesus accidentally Christ. set off a gun. Yeah, shoot. what if like, you, like a shoe gun goes off every time you take a hard step? That would just bl sure. blow his leg off, and then I'll, you know, then it's like ah, oh, I should just went with the shoe knife. That seems like a safer uh, bet. There we go. Now so does it shoot? House. Does it shoot? Because I remember it shot through the heel, but does it also shoot from the front of his boot? No, so just the heel. Okay, cool. All right, I just wanted to make sure because I was like, I couldn't remember that part. Every step he takes, he's walking on an, a landmine and just rolling the dice. Like, yeah, oh, maybe it'll go off, maybe it won't. Maybe I'll get thrown yeah, out of a window late. by a hitman and I'll be able to use this. It's the late 80s. If that accidentally went off in a mall, they're going to be like, oh, you're a cop, it's fine. Yeah. No big deal, True. slap on the wrist. Yeah. So help me understand, again, as a first-time viewer and not a huge fan of this genre of film, is that spoofing on something else? Why do they have the weird gadget angle? Where did that come from? That's clearly, it must be, I, now I didn't find this out, I found out a lot of things about the John Peterisms and whims of this movie. The fact that there's an experimental weapons facility in his 
section of the Los Angeles Police Department reeks of John Peters. There's a stuffed dog on a table in that scene. Yeah, okay, because that was straight up with a cat silencer from Postal. Yes. Yeah, with a gun in its mouth. Yeah. Like, I'm like, again, that was probably the second biggest WTF moment in the movie. Like, wait a minute. What is going on here? What context am I supposed to be viewing this through? Very true. So, anyways, these two dudes with attitudes are a huge pain in the ass for Eve's parade. <laughs> Played by Jack Palance. You're never going to get through saying that. It's such it's such a dumb name. Yeah, because they keep screwing up all his drug and gun running. So he frames them by feeding them faulty info on a drug bust. Now, here's where I'm going to start speeding through the plot. Because the rest of it's inconsequential. And a lot of it's covered in my questions after the movie. My, my big question before we do that is... Does Jack Palance just have a thing for rodents that he's got literally a bar that is a rodent maze? Like, that never pays off. Again, it's the James Bonding, like, who's ever, whoever was part of the creative process that was obsessed with those types of movies. Again, I'm thinking John Peters just based upon what else I know. That is like, a, ooh, well, Blowfield had cats. Let's give this guy mice. Did they just give the writers the instructions that made him the weirdest fucking criminal in history? Because he's the weirdest dude. I don't know. I love him, though. I love every scene he's in in this movie. So there's points he's just Tango. laughing hysterically. He, he, and he, does ham, he hams the shit out of every scene he's in. Well, I mean, you don't hire Jack Palance for subtlety, for fuck's sake. But I, I like how he dove into it. He had to read the script and be like, well, this fucking character. But you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it hard. I'm going to do it Jack Pounce. He did, he did interviews after this came out and basically said it was the biggest piece of shit he'd ever made. <laughs> and but like, at was, least he, he put in maximum effort, and I appreciate it. And he that. was in City Slickers, too. I mean, that came later. but <laughs> Is that the Electric Boogaloo? No. That's, uh, never mind. Just, I'll just say this. He's no Robert Loja. No. I was going to ask you guys, who's more campy? Is it uh, Hooray or is it Rico from Judge Dredd? Because I know you guys went ham on Rico. Ooh, no, it's, it's Rico 100% it's Rico, of the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's Rico. It's Rico. Because okay. uh, Palance still had this like gravitas to him. Like, oh, that's Jack Palance. Whereas Armand DeSante, I was like, how did he get this job? <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Yeah, I you want chaos? His... I am chaos. That's how I want to see job. I want to. I want to see if we can dredge out his audition reel for Rico. Take this audition sample. Yeah, somebody's sitting on a gold mine of just stock footage of Armand Desante doing those lines. And we're like, this is gold. This is, <laughs> this is pure gold. This guy is really going for it. All right, He's so really selling this. In any case, yeah. Jack Palance is going to frame Tango in cash. What yep. happens next? So. Next is one-liners, court drama, guilty, prison fights, butt shots, gratuitous butt shots. Escape. Is it? I mean, listen, there's lots of gratuitous nudity in this film where it feels like they're like, we need that R. Let's get, like, one random titty the first five minutes in. We'll throw some butts about 20 minutes in, and we'll get some more titties eh, 45 minutes in. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer you with a question. Give me two other movies that has this much gratuitous man ass in one shot. Uh, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, because I'm pretty I need, sure there. I need there's two. A, oh, you need two? 
Two uh, movies, two movies quickly. Uh, I mean, we've already wasted 45 seconds. You can't name it. Well, yeah, every uh, movie well, can have Bruce some Willis in it, and you're not getting, 12 Monkeys. You're not getting gratuitous mayonnaise. Oh. Oh, I'm pretty sure Terminator 2. Yeah, I was going to say the Terminator. Both or Terminator, Terminator movies have either the Terminator movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, there you go. Lethal Weapon and the two Terminators. I got to say the, first... the BVS Ultimate Edition has gratuitous Affleck, but. Why, why is Bruce Willis getting no love? Because. Because only one butt. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, if we got Brad yeah, Pitt's butt. Brad Pitt doesn't drop trial. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so escape plans are hatched. Almost foiled, but it... wait, hold, hold on. Back up just one second. So, you know, obviously the rest of the bad guys just want to kill Tango and Cash, but you know, Curly says that's a bad idea because you'd make them martyrs. He's got a better idea, and there's like almost no foreshadowing or setup for his plan. You don't really know they're going to get set up. The movie doesn't really lead you there. It just kind of happens. Yeah, but that's because they were constantly rewriting the script. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm just saying, you, you don't get that classic Bond villain and here's my evil plan moment. Nope. No. He stays tight-lipped and you just see it unfold. I mean, there's... Moving on. There's some, like, needless exposition, but, like, it's all the wrong kind of needless exposition, so... I mean, for what it's worth, you're definitely dealing with three or four movies in this movie like you've got super cop buddy comedy you've got prison escape you've got the clearing their names angle then you've got super cop explosion movie Uh, there's a lot happening yeah and if i'm speeding through the plot it's because the movie speeds through the plot like yeah that's a fair point like this stuff happens at a breakneck pace i mean they go to trial within a minute and a half of being arrested which that's not how that's not how this works we mentioned it several times on several other movies but in the late 80s 90s cocaine was a hell of a drug in LA all right john peters now i can't say this with any certainty but i have a hunch that he liked sugar boogers that's yeah, just, just, just a hunch. Got, just to add to the courtroom deal there, Thunderous Wizard, uh, I could believe that maybe, you know, Riggs would have gone to trial sooner than uh, Tango because, you know, I, I'm assuming Riggs is probably, you know, calling uh, some lawyer off a billboard, right? But there's no way that Tango's legal team would let him go to trial without extensive pre-trial shenanigans and whatnot. So the fact that the two of them would be sitting side by side, getting judged together. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's how like, uh, that kind of thing works. I don't think yeah, you have no. two cops charged together and they have to sit in the same courtroom. I think they'd be charged separately and tried separately. Did you just bring up judging in a Stallone movie? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe he didn't stand up. And obviously this is six years before judge dread. Say, I didn't break the law. I am the law. And then, you know, Gabriel Cash just like sit, sit Flip the, the fuck, table, sit the fuck down, man. It's over. How come nobody blinked at me calling, uh, Colin, uh, Cash Riggs? Cash Riggs because he's explicitly rigged. Like it's, yeah. I mean, he's come painfully on. obviously that they have very similar haircuts. Even now, back, back to the uh, uh, booger sugars. Now. I said that wrong, 
But I have a feeling in John Peter's warped mind, it'd be more fun to to roll your boogers in cocaine and eat them than it would be to do it the traditional way. That is a visual. That, that is, is a visual. Yeah. Good luck getting rid of that. I think that's called the smales method. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, um, do we personally believe that that was John Peters' actual semi that was half full of cocaine and he supplied it for the movie? He's And they're asking him, hey, where'd you get that from? Oh, um, I, I just I have this gasoline tank. The yeah. first quarter of it, I just fill with the uh, you know the purest Colombian white. They needed a cocaine truck, and they're like, John, what can you do? He's like, Well, I got a shipment coming in next Tuesday. <laughs> we can yeah. use that. So, so J Man, you're correct, and as Captain Cash indicated earlier, that was definitely sugar in the movie because yes, John Peters is like, Yeah, yeah, let me empty out the truck. You guys can borrow it. Yeah, I've, right. come on. Fill it up with sugar, it'll be good. He's clearly keeping the stuff for him, the good yeah. stuff for himself. Yeah. yeah, I'll get the truck emptied out. You guys can have it by uh, 3, 3, uh, 3 p.m. on Wednesday. Good? That you, works. You guys didn't see the edited scenes where he runs in from the side <laughs> and just starts scooping it up by the handful? <laughs> just just yeah. sticks his head under it like, yeah. ah, ha, ha, ha. Just eating it. Just A telling sweet Colombian Bam Bam. Telling everyone who will listen that Superman doesn't need to have a cape or fly. <laughs> all right, all right, all right we're, yeah. we're pulling far away. What so, yeah, we're getting we're getting way ahead of ourselves. They escape the jail, yeah. and then they escape the jail. Then they interrogate people in all sorts of illegal ways. Cash the makes for machine. yeah. Cash makes for just a hideous woman. Oh my God! No, we're going <laughs> to talk ah, about how I they forgot got about plan that. number two. <laughs> drag, drag, drag. Yep. This is the drag. Listen, the, we can't goon our ways out of here. What's our next yeah. plan? Drag? Drag. They do try gooning in the prison fight. So they go with plan number one in the prison fight, and it doesn't work out. So then Cash pretty much knows, like, I can't fight or shoot my way out of here. What do you got for me? Fishnets and high heels is what I have. And number two. He goes to the hops and box office flops big book of movie plans. And he's like, all right, number two, drag. Let's do this. It's going to work out great. And again, that was John Peter's idea. And uh, Kurt Russell is reported to have said, I've done a lot of stupid shit in movies. Uh, but usually I didn't know about them ahead of time. Like, you know, like. I didn't know how awful this would be because, and it ended up like being bad. But when he was presented with the idea, like, guess what? You're gonna leave the club, Cleopatra's in drag. He's like, oh, okay, I guess, okay, I guess. I mean, and, listen, can you make me a hot enough woman that it's believable? All right, let's see where this goes. So what's what's funny? What's the uh, Patrick Swayze drag movie? Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything. Julie, not Julie. Julie yeah, Newmar. that one. Yeah. Fun, yeah. You know, fun fact. You know, Patrick Swayze was originally considered for the role of Cash. Yeah, I think he had it, didn't he? Did he actually? He yeah, actually... he had it. He dropped out to do Roadhouse. Yeah. yeah. So you've got far too horny massage play between uh, Cash and Tango's sister, Kiki. It's awkward. And let's just say uh, right now on. that scene is the scene that Michael Myers saw, and he's like, "Okay, that's the kind of sex jokes I want in Austin Powers." Pretty much, like it. Yeah. It really, like this movie, yo-yos so intensely between like super cop buddy movie and farce that like this is where it's like, yeah, 
deeper, harder. I'm all the way in. I'm all the way in. Yeah. And it's literally he's just giving her a massage, and it's or I'm sorry, she's just giving him a massage. She's working his disc back into place or something. Yeah. Which I, hold on, she's I'm not just jump medically in cleared to do. So. Yeah, yeah come this on. is some back alley adjustment She's stuff. She's a tattoo but... artist. They know how to fix things, right? <laughs> what? Back alley ch- chiropractor. She's like stripper. a, yeah, she's a for classier for less dancer. stripper. She she plays the drums. So. She does. Also <laughs> a musician. Two chumps at this point, that is a burlesque dancer. Yeah. It's different. Uh, but I, I believe the concept you're describing here, Captain Cash, would be tonal whiplash. Yes. Side story here. So my older brother let his 13-year-old twins watch Die Hard over this Thanksgiving break, and they followed up Die Hard with Tango and Cash. And everything, he's okay with the swearing. He got the kids to cover their eyes for the minor nudity in Die Hard. And then this scene happened. And my brother's just staring at me like, why did you pick Tango and Cash? They did not need to see this. And I'm just sitting there after about seven beers like, I completely forgot that this existed and there's no reviews online that say you shouldn't show your kids this movie. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because it's incredible and all kids should see this. I saw it a million times when I was a kid and look, I turned out fine. (laughs) Debatable. (laughs) Might be debatable. So anyways, when he's getting this really strange massage and she's, it's really sexy back clearly massage. simulating like she's having an orgasm and it makes everybody including myself at you know my late 30s age like why is this happening like this is just weird but they then find out the truth behind their setup because uh tango's captain shows up they try and murder him with a wooden duck then they realize who it is and he tells them hey you've got 24 hours here's the guy this is all building to basically the most ludicrous final action scene in history as they storm Perez compound in an SUV that's, I guess, a van, but it's built specifically for the purpose of murdering people. It's, it's, a, it's a street vehicle with a Gatling gun, also a video monitor, which is ahead of its time. It's pretty nice, but it's built specifically to murder criminals and Despite there being this murder car, that's not even the most insane part of the scene because for some reason, Perret has a fleet of trucks and other giant cars with rockets. Uh, let me also add, and in addendum, he has a monster truck and it's fucking Bigfoot. Yeah, yes. It's literally fucking Bigfoot. The, is it actually? I couldn't see it. Is Bigfoot, it is. Yeah. Bigfoot? It, it is. It's got a different uh, deco. Uh, yeah, it's, on, a, it's a it's different Bigfoot. paint job, but, but the same, like the same, like F one fifty body style that Bigfoot yeah. looks like. Yeah, yeah. Because the original owner of the truck confirmed this, and didn't Bigfoot show up in Roadhouse? I don't recall. But yeah, I don't called, remember. But yeah. that's, so it's called a good looking. crossover. That'd be a no, there's, really a, there's a big monster truck in Roadhouse. Fun. Remember the monster oh truck in Roadhouse? Yeah. The MTU, the monster truck universe. This is going to be a thing, you guys. By the way, can I just mention the fact that I love how in the middle of this action scene, what, their vehicle gets destroyed and they, you know, destroy all these monster trucks. Don't Tango and Cash then hop onto tractors and it's like as if they were riding in horses. 
Yep. That's literally yes. what it reminds yes. Yeah. They no, swing uh, in, they kick the, the drivers out and hop on and just It was going. two killdozers. Yep. Double yeah. killdozers, you and guys. For some reason, even though they know they're, they're both driving these killdozers, they still hit each other head on. And then they shoot Uzis one-handed. So. Oh, yes. Very one-handed so. sidearm. And then Kurt Russell also earlier in the movie like blast the shot the the twelve gauge shotguns with one hand as well. That was that was totally a mid to late eighties cop thing. Yeah. All right. Let's get through this plot because we can talk more about ludicrous things during my quick fire questions. So post chase through this quarry, which again, why is this the hideout? Well, I can tell you why because John Peters was stuck in traffic in L.A. one day and saw a construction site and said, gee, wouldn't that be great for the finale of this movie that we haven't written yet? They were shooting the movie, and there was no ending to the movie. The reason they shot in a quarry is the same reason that Power Rangers shoot in a quarry. Money, dear boy, the money. It's real easy to blow shit up in a quarry. Whatever money they thought they were saving, they didn't. Since they went $20 million over budget. So there's more gunplay, more fistfights, and a final showdown ripped straight from a far better movie called Enter the Dragon. Because why does Prey have a mirror room? I don't know, but he does. Yeah, yeah. That might be the third biggest WTF moment in the movie. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. And by mirror room, we specifically mean a funhouse mirror room. Yes. But, Full of to be fair, they did set up that he was weird as shit because his bar is literally a rat maze. No, because, so... because his name was Eves Perret. Or you could just <laughs> listen to him talk at any really point in this weird. movie. Yeah, so then there's more quips, and then the movie ends. I love this movie. I know I've been saying it's very stupid, so I'm just going to start overall. The good, the bad, and the ugly. There is no bad and the ugly. This movie is incredible. It's infinitely watchable. I need zero beers to watch it because I've been watching it since the age of, like, six on TNT. I love every second of this movie. It is wonderfully stupid and ridiculous. Uh, let's go to J-Man for his thoughts. So um, I don't drink, so it's hard for me to say how many beers I can go ahead and have. Um, you can say I zero. Will, we accept that I answer. Can, I appreciate that, but I think that if Let's use pumpkin pie as the example because that's what I was eating last night towards the finish of this movie. I would be able to go ahead and have like three slices of pumpkin pie, pumpkin pie, have my fat ass lay on the couch and enjoy myself because this movie is super duper dumb. And I think part of it realizes that it's dumb, but then there's other parts that says, oh, hey, we're trying to be super serious, which I do want to discuss um, at some point, I know Thunderous Wizard has that in his back pocket, but that's how I felt. I was about to say, I don't, I don't know if there's, I I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm excited for this part of the conversation to see if there are anything that is super serious about this movie that I would agree with. I watched this over the course of two nights with my nephews and both of those nights, I probably had between seven and eight beers. So this <laughs> is a 16 beer movie for me. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I mean. Uh, you're not but <laughs> okay. no, no, that i mean that literally happened but there's also while we i mean one night we started with eraser we watched this we finished this and or no one night we started with die hard we watched this we finished this and then we finished with eraser so i had a course of several movies here um anyways off point uh, i again it's 
it's a stupidly fun movie. And if you're, we go back to pain beers or enjoyment beers. And I would say enjoyment beer wise, I could sit here and drink four or five beers with a buddy and watch this thing. It's not a struggle to get through. It's dumb. You laugh and you're like, what the fuck were they doing? But it, I mean, it doesn't hurt. It's not a painful movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm more or less with uh, Mayor McCheese here. It's, it's fun. It's silly. It's it's a five beer movie for me. It's not it's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but it is kind of like you want to see a campy, goofy '80s movie that doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. Here you go. I mean, the the big point for me was and uh, uh, sorry, if we just met uh, Jay Money, right? Jay, I wish it was Jay Money. That'd actually be a better name than what I came up with. But Jay Man, go ahead. Jay Man, sorry. It really, it drove it home at that point in the movie where they brought out that dumbass car, and I was just sitting there laughing hysterically and chugging beer like eh, this. They're they are a hundred percent committing to the stupidness of this movie. The the car does not age particularly well. So it's interesting that you know you talk about the campiness and whatnot. I, I agree with that, but earlier earlier. I think it was either Chumzilla or Captain Cash that brought this up was the seriousness of the middle of that prison fight, if you will, um, where actually, no, I believe it was you that brought it up, Mayor McCheese, where obviously they've got Tango and Cash. They, 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 they've got them all roped up. Trust the up chain. Yeah. yeah. And they're lowering them and they there. There's the puddle of water for them. And then they're dropping in the freaking um, the, the cable with the electricity and whatnot. Like that's, that's a pretty brutal scene by most stretches in any action movie. And, and at that moment in time, I was like, yo, this movie got serious real quick. And then it goes back to its campiness. And it's just like, well, hold on, man. You can't be both. Well, like, and that's I think that's the comment I was making was, yeah, that I mean, that is a that is a scene that is out of place because of its aggressiveness. And it it doesn't fit. And it could easily have been replaced with some hokey dokey nonsense but right. they, they went with that instead alright let's go to Chumpzilla and then we're going to take our first break and then we'll get into the rest of the quickfire questions which includes how the behind the scenes turbulence affected this movie uh, and our quiz as well so Chumpzilla what do you think good the bad the ugly how many beers yeah well I'll comment just quickly on that prison scene uh, because I made the comment earlier about you know tonal whiplash that's a big one it gets super serious there but also i understand why they put it there they were trying to raise the stakes but the problem is they raised the stakes to 11 basically in the middle of the movie and they weren't able to hit 12 when it came to the climax so it's almost like the movie peaked there for a moment and you're like holy shit they've just raised the stakes and these guys are going to get fried and i think in these tubs of water i'm not really sure what the logistics there was exactly but i think they were going to kill them i don't know or just make them fry like bacon yeah go ahead I, I, i feel like they're trying to get their rambo moment in this scene and it's it doesn't fit the movie like it's not the battery cables out it doesn't need to be there in rambo it makes sense because that is a very serious wartime movie this movie it just doesn't land yeah. it's not it doesn't need to be there okay and again they're trying to raise the stakes it's life or death and it's like okay so where do you go from life or death you kind of just 
you kind of jumped right to the end there. And then yeah. there's, there's like another 35, 40 minutes of movie left. But anyway. Well, I was just going to mention, we, so in 1987, Warner Brothers dropped Lethal Weapon, the first one, right? And now that is probably the one of the premier buddy action cop movies of, I don't know, the last 30 years, I'd say. Easily. Um, right? And what I – there's a tone that Lethal Weapon meets, and they're, they're able to get away with it. Like there's, there's the comedy of, of, of Mel Gibson and Danny, and, and, and Danny Glover that just works. But there's also a certain level of, of seriousness that they, that they have, in particular in the first two movies – yeah, there's, um, a, and, and there's, there's a dark edge to the humor. It's it's for funny, sure. there's a dark but it's edge gallows and, humor, yeah. Exactly, and there's also a, a certain level of violence that they reach. Not action, but violence, because there is a pretty brutal torture scene that where Riggs is being, getting the holy crap beaten out of him in wherever that warehouse is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he gets electrocuted as well. Like, they're pouring him with water. It's the same scene. It's essentially the same scene, the same and scene. for whatever reason, I'm willing to go ahead and believe it more in Lethal Weapon than I was in Tango and Cash, and I'm trying to figure out exactly the reason why. Yeah, well, the the setup was all wrong in Tango and Cash. It just it just they just stumbled, fucked their way into yeah. that. But regardless, um, you know, my overall opinion is this is a standard '80s action schlockfest. Um, I'm going to give it four beers. Only because it's an hour and four minutes long. If this was a 90-minute long movie, as it should be, I'd give it three beers. But at 104 minutes, it gets four beers. They're mostly enjoyment beers, but you got to, like, dumb yourself down just enough to, to smooth over all the seams in this movie. Uh, and the beers will help with that. Um, but frankly, it's Kurt Russell's charm and ass that saved this from being a six-beer movie, in my opinion. That is totally fair. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Come back, we'll do some quick fire questions, meaning very quick answers, and then we'll get into our quiz. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to our Tango and Cash episode of Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our 86th episode, and we are presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. We are about to do some quick fire questions about this movie. I say quick fire. Because short answers, a little bit of debate, not much. And then we'll get into our quiz, which is Don't Flatter Yourself, Pee Wee <laughs> Trivia Challenge. So the first quickfire question I have about this movie relates directly to sort of the absurdity of it. Because in a movie full of ludicrous shit, what to you stood out above the rest? Again, we'll start with our guest, J-Man from the Double Turn Podcast. I would say that probably the most ludicrous thing that stood out to me, and it's not action or anything like that, but you know how every buddy cop movie has its main number two? This one is supposed to be the ponytail guy, and damn, do they really embarrass him like with that scene up on the rooftop? And it, they do it too quickly, and they make it, – it's – I don't know. It kind of kills it for me. I thought that was incredibly ludicrous. Like it's, I feel like it's a trope that needs to be always exploited in an action movie like this. And they really failed with it and they bring them back towards the end of the movie, but it does not have the same effect that to me, a main number two villain in the film is supposed to have. Like I, 
I really think that that kind of bombed it for me. And I would say that that was the most ludicrous thing to me. Um, That's totally fair. Because if you think about Lethal Weapon, which this movie cribs heavily from, Joshua, Gary Busey, is far more believable as a threat than Brian James is as Rakeen in this movie. Like, there's no point in time I think that Rakeen is a is a plausible physical foil to either Ray Tango or Gabriel Cash. And yet, in the end, you're supposed to be like, oh, I'm so scared of this guy. His For one, his shoulders are way too hairy. <laughs> for, for and not to mention, like, they, they, you know, they say it, like, because now I will say, like, it's pretty intense, the fact that they went ahead and strapped a freaking grenade to his mouth and stuff like that. And I wasn't expecting a payoff for them to go ahead and blow his head off because that would have been really crazy. But, you know, they talk about the fact that he peed himself and stuff like that. And, like, they're making fun of it. And then I'm supposed to take it seriously when he goes ahead and kidnaps Kiki at the end of the movie? Like, Yeah, and they they leave him there. And somehow he gets out and still is able to play, like, this pivotal role in the final scene. I, yeah. yeah. Again, this movie doesn't know how to build up and raise the stakes. They just, they just try to go to 11 at every turn. Yeah, I mean, I like that scene. I like every scene with Russell and Stallone. I actually really like them together. Uh, most insane or ludicrous scene of the movie, Captain Cash, what about you? Uh, my most insane thing is, I don't even know his name, but it's Q. It's the, the weapons expert who is routinely introduced through his eye magnified against the camera with one of those weird like doctors magnifying glasses that that's how he's introduced like look at this crazy weird scientist and every one of those scenes feels like it belongs in a different movie like every one of those scenes i'm just completely like yanked out of oh it's a buddy comedy in la what the fuck is this guy doing here and then you get the armin zola shot yeah exactly that's owen Yes, he does not fit the movie at all. He further takes it from like being somewhat like plausible and like okay, well, yeah, it's gonna have goofy moments to the cars like literally on fire, and he's like, "Guys, where'd you go, guys?" And he's talking through like the car speaker, and it's like, "Wait a minute, is this the sequel to If Looks Could Kill, or is this an action movie starring Sly Stallone?" Like this movie. <laughs> yo-yos between James Bond and Lethal Weapon and doesn't know which one it wants to be. If Looks Could Kill is a fantastic movie. Greco. I love you, Richard Greco. Uh, we'll go with you, McCheese. I had a tough rewatch because I was doing it with family and everything else. But the whole beginning, I don't know if it's introduction or dichotomy of Tango and Cash where they like, they know of a they know of each other, but they sort of don't. Like he's reading about him in the paper and like this is his counter cop. Like if you're a cop, like your job is just to put bad dudes away, but they're trying to set a high score precedent. Mm. It seems stupid from the jump. And you know, they're wildly different, which makes it zany, but like it doesn't exist in the real world. If you have a North side Chicago cop and a South side Chicago cop, and they're both very good at their cop jobs, pretty sure they just don't hate each other. 
the rivalry is extremely forced. Wouldn't it be like, oh man, you've been doing a great job cleaning up the other side of town. Like, thanks so much. You're fighting the good fight. And then, of course, Stallone answers with, no, I'm just in this to crack skulls and kill people. Chumpzilla, <laughs> uh, most ludicrous element of this film. Oh, hands down for me is the whole battle wagon SUV uh, tech angle. I mean, this movie does have tonal whiplash just in its DNA, but that was a bridge too far. It was just like completely out of left field, and it totally felt like it belonged in another movie. Like, I just did not feel the connective tissue there at all. Yeah, so mine is the prison escape in general because, one, they've got the villain leading the charge. He's, like, telling the guards where to go, why the, why he's in charge. I have no idea. Two, well, let's, let, look, can I TV time out real quick? Yeah. The fact that they managed to end up, that as cops in a cop-driven society, they managed to end up in this yeah, and, murder prison with absolutely no oversight or comment other than the one person be like we lost them <laughs> yeah we don't know where they went uh like, this sucks I, the rest of the whole prison scene i want you to extrapolate on but the fact that they got there in the first place with nothing in place nothing to stop them from going to the most dangerous anti-cop prison yeah in the area is ridiculous. So it's, it's now super, imagine how marginalized communities must feel about going to those prisons. It's it's a supermax, and they en- they they enter, and it's just raining fire. So whatever deal the warden cut with Eve's parade doesn't seem worth it to me. That there's a near prison riot just upon their entrance into the prison, but that's a whole separate aspect of it. Because as they're escaping, the plan is foiled. Like. A giant, giant jaw man leads the prison guards to the exact place that Cash is going to escape from. Because originally Tango doesn't want to go because he's an idiot. But then they just find an alternate route through the roofs of the prison with no real, like, oh, we memorized the blueprints, so this would also work in a pinch. And then they get to the roofs and decide they're going to ride the, the, the electrical wires down. Now, this is all really stupid, all of it, because one, if the wires were sparking like this, like there's a serious structural issue, the wiring there is not sound at all. The prison would have burned down years before this escape ever happened, murdering everybody inside. But Cash is explicitly wearing a sleeveless shirt, and in the run-up to his jump to slide down the wires, he is wearing sleeves. It is such careless stunt doubling stuff, it rivals even the worst of Arnold Schwarzenegger stunt doubling. I will say I did not notice that. Oh, yeah. He's wearing sleeves. Thunderous Wizard, I will say, I feel like you're trying to compare a Shawshank escape to a Donald Duck escape. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is just so dumb. It's like they, they get busted like during the escape and within moments figure out a better way to escape. Well, prisons aren't that hard. You can basically walk out of them at this point, right? Well, I mean... More or less. Yeah. I mean, the daredevil did it. He walked in, started a riot, and walked out. So it can't be that hard, right? It can't be. Uh, So that, to me, like that whole like series of events is really just insane. So here's where we're going to get into the background of the movie. I'll preface it with just an overview of all the stuff that went down beginning with the director, Andrei Konchalovsky, 
was not an action director. He was actually a foreign director. He helmed some movie called Andrei Rublev, which is a three-hour film about a Russian painter in the 15th century. He came to America and did like a romantic comedy and then like a pseudo-action movie with John Voight, which, I mean, I guess if you survive doing a movie with John Voight, maybe you're ready for something like this. And that movie with John Voight was based on a screenplay by legendary Japanese director Akira Kurosawa. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess Kamilchowski was directing to what he thought Stallone wanted, which was a serious movie about police work and these types of themes, drug busting, gun running. Uh, I guess Stallone was saying a different thing behind his back because by all accounts, Stallone was heavily involved in getting him fired. Now, John Peters did want a film that was more witty and satirical. And of course he won. Kyle Chosky's fired. They bring in Albert Magnoli, who directed Prince's Purple Rain, but he wasn't even really the director because the second unit director was reshooting scenes when they'd wrap for the day behind Konolchovsky's back. So a lot of the footage they used was actually footage that the second unit director was shooting while the original director was still there. It's all sort of just just crazy. The original cinematographer's fired and they bring in a guy that Stallone likes better because he he did the cinematography for Lockup, which coincidentally is also a prison break movie. We talked about the film having no ending. We talked about John Peters cooking up the ending because he got stuck in traffic. Uh, Suffice to say, it's a mess behind the scenes. We mentioned it was $20 million over budget. And I think we've kind of answered this question, but did this affect the way you saw the movie as you watched it? Like, were you, if you didn't know any of this, watching it, would you have been like, huh, something was seriously wrong here, McCheese? I didn't know any of this until this morning when I started to do some research and finally got home. And no, it didn't affect me at all. This movie is ridiculous fun. I mean, it's a stupid movie. It should be judged as a stupid movie. But now reading all of this background knowledge makes a little more sense on what happened here. Listen, I'm going to go with what I always go with. And that is when a movie fails. And honestly, this recovers a little bit for sheer uh, audacity points. But when a movie fails for us, it almost always happens because there wasn't someone going, this is what the movie needs to be. This is the tone of the movie. This is what needs to happen in this film. And that's what was lacking here. That's why we talk about the mood whiplash. That's why you're like, wait a minute, is where the fuck is the battle van coming from? Because there were too many people trying to do too many different things. So okay. yeah, I noticed, but I, you know, unless I had done the research, I would have guessed, you know, either Stallone and the producer, or Stallone and the director, or you know, the the producer and the director were fighting. Okay, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, just me personally, as a kid, because I've I've watched this movie so many <laughs> times, so so many times. Like it's one of the movies I probably have watched the most in my life because it was so syndicated. I never knew any of this until very recently. I never even thought about it. I just thought the movie was really sort of misguided. I, I had no clue about any of this stuff. And I'll actually post 
a link to a video that JoeBlow.com did, which is what the WTF happened to Tango and Cash, which really, I think, does a nice job in 17 minutes of articulating all these things that happened. But Chumzilla, what do you think? No, I think I'll just repeat things I've said previously. The tonal whiplash here is real. Um, as a first-time viewer, I, at several junctures, was not only confused as to where the movie was going and what the plot was doing, but also, hey, what what kind of movie is this? Like, I wasn't sure what to expect, and not in a good way. It was it was tough to it was tough to kind of digest it, but it has its charms. It gets cute at times, um, and it's funny, mostly because of Kurt Russell. And again, he I just. <clears throat> I will, again, go back to my thesis. I had no idea how broad Kurt Russell's shoulders are because he literally just throws this movie on his shoulders and just drags it across the finish line. Now, I realized Sly Stallone was probably doing the same thing behind the scenes, but on the screen, it's Kurt Russell through sheer force of will making this thing happen. And reportedly, Stallone was rewriting the script daily and also contributing to the directing. So Bruh, he, he was daily. very involved. And, you know, script rewrites like that do happen. Like, that's a pretty common thing. But uh... No, I, I firmly believe that Sly understood what was going on here and was just doing his best to make chicken salad. Uh, J-Man, you... You're also not like traditionally a huge fan of this movie. I think that's like that's what's blinded me for so long. So Chumzilla had a unique perspective, having shamefully only seen this yesterday, which is maybe you might be kicked off the pod for that offense. I don't know. That's pretty terrible. Fair, fair. What do you think, Jay? Man, like so, I, I did my research upon watch prior to watching the movie, and because. You know, we had talked about it for a few days prior. I watched it last night, having an idea of what I should expect. And you can definitely tell what was going on. It affects it to an extent because there, you know, Captain Cash has said this multiple times. There are four movies happening within a 104, 104-minute structure, which, by the way, it, it, it blows my mind that this movie, I felt dragged to me a little bit. But that being said... I think that Kurt Russell did an incredible job um, on screen. I don't think that Sly Stallone was that far behind. I think Chumzilla, you're giving a, you're giving Sly Stallone on screen a little bit a, a little. He, he deserves more credit than what you're giving him because um, I actually think that it, it's very weird. I feel Sly Sly changes Ray Tango multiple times in this movie where Kurt Russell. He keeps like Gabe Cash never changes his character. Like that was one thing that was consistent that Kurt Russell kept Cash how he's supposed to be. But Tango, Tango is weird, man. Tango's just like he's this I, I, slick cop, and then but then I'll he's take also umbrage with that. No, no, I'll take umbrage with that, Jay. Man, yeah, I will say the one time you see a little bit of depth to. Cash's character is on that rooftop scene when they do the worst cop and or bad cop and worst cop deal. He actually does a pretty good job of, you know, kind of breaking character and and calling out Stallone and and hamming it up a little bit in a different way. Uh, it's not super impressive, but 
I would also argue that's because he's working with the script that Stallone is giving him. So, eh. no, I, I I fully see where where Chumzilla is coming from. I the, this movie obviously we know Thunderous Wizard didn't exactly flop, but if you were to ask me the question, did this movie deserve to make more money? Based on when it came out, and based on Sly Stallone and Kurt Russell, and as much effort as they both put into it, I think that this movie should be probably deserved to make more money. But when you watch what was on screen, you can understand, even though there is there's still a lot of coolness, uh, there's still a certain level of cool factor associated with it, with Sly Stallone and Kurt Russell, but... I can understand why it only made 150 million. Where maybe Lethal Weapon 2, which came out earlier that year, made like 280. You know? Yeah. So that's a good transition. Uh, we'll just do this now. Like, should it have flopped? I, I always play the, you know, hey, given the state of the actors at the time and given everything else, you know, maybe this should have made money. But at the end of the day. It's clearly a mishmash of ideas, and it, it's not like it completely failed, right? It it took in 120. I'll point out now, Captain Cash, that's about what the original Lethal Weapon made two years prior. Yeah, so, I mean, was it was it great? You know, no. Was it terrible? No. I, I feel like this is one of those, this was an 80s movie that happened, and if you want to go back and look at it, do but if you don't, I don't know that you're missing that much. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's fair. Uh, Chumzilla, thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's... This is an interesting movie because you can see... And again, it's a really small world of people involved between Sly and Kurt Russell and Mel Gibson and Patrick Swayze and all the numerous people that Sly auditioned to star cross for him as Cash. Like, you can just tell there was like a, a sort of like a cottage industry at the time in Hollywood to crank out these, you know, these kinds of movies. I mean, and I'm probably wrecking the quiz here, so I'll get into too great a detail, but Sly Stallone, in the background, after finishing Cobra, was working on several buddy cop movies. Like there was a formula they were trying to emulate here because they all saw what had happened with, you know, Shane Black's Lethal Weapon. So everybody was trying to rework this and try to figure it out. And you got several offshoots of that Lethal Weapon slash and before that 48 hours. Or is that after? Whatever. Doesn't Cop matter. and uh 48 yeah, hours so, was the basically the originator of the original, 80s yeah, buddy yeah. cop. Yeah, which is what? That was 86? No, no, it was very early 80s. Okay, earlier than that? Yeah, whatever, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter, but the point is, yeah, there's a whole cottage industry in Hollywood with all these action stars and these male leads trying to figure out, hey, how do we milk this cow? And this is just one of the weirder examples that got squeezed out. I mean, is it better than Stop or One Mom Shoot? Yes, yes, this is a better movie than that, um, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I mean, listen... <laughs> If Estelle Getty is somewhere in this oh, film, God. again, I, I mean, will. Yeah. It makes a better movie. It we, just, it just does. We said it. Uh, it's right. true. It's again, true. Again, I think if Estelle Getty was the stripper daughter, this movie would have made like two hundred million. But no it's problem. the stripper mom. Yeah, it's perfect. No, she, 
stripper mom daughter it doesn't matter no she's the lady working the front door that collects the money and makes the gentleman sign the agreement before they go in to see the strippers yeah, I that mean, works too i mean if, if she's either of the chief of police it works better if she's eve's parade i'm gonna say if estelle getty was the captain in the movie i actually would have been okay with that also um, true uh so i'm gonna jump in uh i mean it made money so technically a flop Yes-ish, no-ish, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't greatly received by most of the critics back in those days. I don't know. I mean, it's a fun watch. It's not a great movie. So does it deserve to flop? In my mind, it's a maybe. Depends on if you like this sort of stupid shit or not. I'm not entirely surprised it flopped because Kurt Russell was never the most bankable star. He is a legitimate star, but a lot of his awesome movies flopped. The Thing Big Trouble in Little China. He wasn't an action star. Uh, in the Are you inter- trying to hang this on Kurt Russell? No, no, I'm not. I'm just saying, like... I'm going to fly to Arizona it's a, fight it's a, you. It's a buddy movie that was intended to have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, and he said, this script is terrible. No. And if Arnold's in it, it's a monumental hit. Uh, if Patrick Swayze's in it, I don't know. I mean, he's the guy from Dirty Dancing, but does that bring in the female crowd? I don't know. Like... Am I surprised it flopped? Some a little bit, a little bit not, because there's better movies that are very similar to this movie. But then again, it found a huge life on on video. So you bring up an interesting secondary question, TW, which is if you can switch out Tango or Cash, Stallone or Kurt Russell for one other contemporary actor. Who's the person you switch out to make this make money? Okay, well, see, that brings me to a, an actual question: is who won the movie? And to, oh, I mean, Kurt Russell. To answer Easy. your question, yes, Kurt Russell's the Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's the heartbeat of this movie. I like Stallone in this movie, but he's the much less believable and likable character. I think you could have any number of people play Ray Tango. He doesn't need to have an extremely nice ass and muscles to make that character work. So <laughs> that's just my thoughts. I, I feel like that's just a backdoor way to nominate yourself. Kurt, I'm available. If there's a sequel, call me. Call me, Kurt. I would like to see <laughs> the Thunderous Wizard and Kurt Russell and the new age Jens Pereira. Oh, oh, for, forget that, that McCheese. I want to see the thunderous wizard and Terry Hatcher in the massage scene. That's what I'm here for. Oh, hold on now. Diane Lane's going to get jealous. Yes. Oh. Never. <laughs> I'd never <laughs> betrayed Diane Lane ever. Diane Lane's going to be Superman's mom in this version. So what do, what do you think, Jamie? Who won the movie? One, one. Um, you know what? As I was watching it and, I felt like Sly was still definitely like Sly was keeping up with Kurt Russell, but Kurt Russell at the end of the day just wins just because of how his character is developed. But, um, you know, I, I don't think to me, I don't, is it easy for anybody else to play Ray Tango? Yes. I still would pick Sly Stallone to play Ray Tango though, just because it was a different, this was, very different from everything else that Sylvester Stallone was doing in the eighties. You know, like, I don't think that Ray Tango is 
anywhere near as close to a character as what Rocky, Rambo, his character in Cobra, or even definitely over the top, obviously. Like, there was definitely a slickness to his character, and I think he played it as best as he could, but it's, I mean, Kurt Russell was, Kurt Russell was great in this movie. Kurt Russell is strong, really good. Kurt Russell was great in this movie, but as I understand it, this movie was originally pitched as Arnold and Sly, the two, the two big yes. muscle dudes from the eighties. I don't know that. Like, I feel like if you got Stallone to play Cash and Arnold to play Tango, this movie might work better. No, uh, Arnold no. would have. No. Yeah. Why would yeah, Arnold no, be the loose no, no. cannon? Arnold right. is very no, no. clearly the immigrant, Actually, playing by the rules. He's got to go through the system. Cash. He's a smart guy. He's European. I screwed that up, but they already did that. It's called Red Heat. Yeah, um, and, and yeah. hey, fun fact. Uh, Red Heat is, he's the straight-laced Russian who's working with the cop, Shlubby Belushi. American. Yeah, but goofy yeah. Jim Belushi, or, sorry, well, here's, Jim, John. But but that's why he passed on it, because he's like, well, this script is terrible. Why would I do this? I've done this. All this being said, this movie is a cult classic. If it wasn't, it wouldn't endure to this day. It wouldn't still be on TV. It wouldn't be replicated because Hobbs and Shaw is just Tango and Cash with The Rock and Jason Statham, where both of them have to be extremely quippy, and both of them have to be super badass, and both of them have to be a certain type of character. It's The formula persists in ways that are beyond like the typical mismatch buddy mashup way like, yeah fair, fair it's fair. being replicated to absurd degrees because Hobbs and Shaw is absurd well um, it's basically the formula where the two odd couple guys have to be contractually obligated to both be awesome yeah and not one of them their egos are both too big although that's the weird thing because I don't think Kurt Russell's really is and he, in the interviews he talks about like I don't work out so it's kind of odd he's paired up with Stallone, but I've just always been like yeah, this. I don't, he just I don't know. Listen, I'll tell you how Kurt, how we know Kurt Russell's ego is not that big. He dressed up in drag. I think that should answer all of our questions. Yeah, but then he told Sly Stallone to his face he was going to bone his little sister. Yeah, listen, multiple times. But Stallone listen, wrote those lines. Let let <laughs> those of us who have not dressed in drag and threatened our friends with boning their sisters throw the first stone. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, really. Like, do you guys who didn't like it as much as I like it? Because to me, of course, it's a cult classic because, I mean, I've never stopped watching it. I've watched it every year of my life for 30 plus years, like at least once a year. Sometimes upwards of five to ten times a year. I will say that this movie does a lot of work in title alone. Tango and Cash sounds cool. And that it has Sly and Kurt Russell, who have gone on to be literal fixtures in the entertainment industry, helps a lot. Right? You can go back and watch this and, oh, fuck. Not only is it Rambo and Rocky, it's the guy from The Incredibles. Or the, fuck. It's the guy from The Expendables. And it's fucking Judge Dredd. And it's... The guy from uh, it's both guys from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, right. Reunited. Are we not going to comment Oof, on how deep pull there, Captain Cash? Yes. Deep pull. Are we not? Stallone gets how... so much screen time in that. Yeah, but still, 
Like these are two veteran actors who have been around for ever and have done so much. So seeing them together is kind of fun, except the film itself is just okay. Are we not going to comment about how TW just said his parents showed him this for the first 15 years of his life every year? I mean, it was on network TV though for a lot of it. So I never, yeah. you know, like I I'm had, pretty sure I saw never, this on like the USA massage scene. No, I think that was that was probably still in it because I remember that scene. So maybe they cut her like moaning, which was, it, to be honest, is very odd. But you know, the butt scene is cropped, which is a real shame because because <laughs> because like, well, wants to see some man ass, but with some hot man ass though, and of course, hot, you know, hot cheeks. The car sex is removed, and parts of him in the locker room are removed. By the way, both are totally needless, needless uses of nudity. But anyways, I have I have another question that actually J-Man recommended that I'm going to save for recommendations. I think that question should just be all of our recommendations. And I'm also going to save another question for the end as well. So that's going to bring us to our quiz. The Don't Flatter Yourself Peewee Trivia Challenge. Obviously, we're going to do this in teams of two. Uh, I'm going to pair up J-Man and Captain Cash and Chumpzilla and Mayor McCheese. Let's do this. So I had a question about one-liners that I didn't get to ask because we've kind of talked a lot about this movie. And it's best you just experience those one-liners for yourself. But to chime in, say either, I'll bring the chainsaw or I'll bring the beers because I'll bring the beers. As they're casually talking about murdering witnesses at their own trial, <laughs> there's a few lines of that nature. It's it's a little it like it leans heavily on. Isn't police brutality funny? Yeah. Listen, those one-liners in the courtroom are actually one of the better parts of the movie. Every scene with them together is very good. And when you said this drags, it's every scene where they're not together. I think is like the weaker parts of the movie. Did Kurt Russell being in drag drag for you? Because I thought that just no. No, I, I just like to point out too that he's still partially in drag while getting the overtly sexual massage from Terry Hatcher. He's not partly. So in it. He's I, still wearing the entire outfit. It's just pulled I, down. He puts it back on after uh, assaulting yeah. Ray Tango. <laughs> so I just feel like there's maybe some kink going on there too. This is pretty. Gr- progressive movie is what i'm trying to say the heart wants what the heart wants yeah i'm not here to kink shame cash or tango Mm -hmm. to be honest i will accept any of the one-liners that you love from this movie as the drop the duck drop the duck rambo's a pussy all right the ducktales tomorrow disney plus if you're listening captain cash was gonna recommend that because we're recording on Sunday, there's a new one come Monday. That's what we yeah. do. Drop Once Duck you go Tales. duck, you never go back. Yeah. So, number one, when Stallone quips, I hate Danish, it's apparently a reference to his divorce from this actress. Is it I a... Hate... It's not raining, but he's standing in a puddle. Okay. That, I mean, that's, that counts as one. Yeah. yeah. It is Brigitte Nielsen. They were married for 19 months 19 months so it is one nothing jumpzilla and captain cash one yeah, i'm two sorry nothing. that's what rocky four will do to you number two 
first of all, Rocky Four, also one of the most adoring sports movies ever. Oh, very much so. Number two, uh, as Chumpzilla noted, uh, Patrick Swayze was cast in the role as Gabriel Cash. He left basically just prior to filming, which left them really in a pickle. And they considered many actors to replace them. Which of these was not considered? I repeat, not considered for the role of Gabriel Cash. Is it A, Pierce Brosnan? Is it B, Kevin Costner? Is it C, Bruce Willis? Is it D, Liam Neeson? Or is it E, Mel Gibson? Drop the duck. Captain Cash. Liam Neeson. That is incorrect. Shit. It's not real, but he's standing in a puddle. Okay. Uh, I will give that to our other team, Chumpzilla and Mayor McCheese. McCheese? I think it's Mel Gibson. I, I, you know me. I, I need to go with Pierce Brosnan. No, Pierce Brosnan was. It's Mel Gibson. Final answer. Uh, Chumpzilla is correct. Pierce Brosnan was considered. He was considered a dark horse for the role and did not get it. Uh, I would argue... He should have been Rakeen because he's actually fucking British. Nice. Uh, Mel Gibson is the correct answer. So we're now two to nothing. Uh-oh. Booyah, McCheese. Chumpsilla nice. and Mayor McCheese. We have uh, a few more questions with some bonus questions. Oh, boy. So number three, I mentioned that the original cinematographer of this movie was fired because of issues with it stars Stallone. If you can name that cinematographer and name the subsequent movie that he first directed, his first directorial movie, you can get mm. a bonus point. Okay. J-Man so, chimed in. It's, it's Barry Sonnenfeld, uh, director of Men in Black, but I cannot remember his directorial debut. Okay. I got nothing. All right, so you got one yeah, well, point. He, he, also, he also did uh, Wild Wild West. He did. He, he did. Is a, he is so he and John favorite. Peters were still tight. Um, Barry Sonnenfeld. You got to get that spider in there. You got to get that giant spider to fight. Barry Sonnenfeld did, was fired as cinematographer, so it is two to one. Chumpzilla and Mary Cheese, can either of you name his directorial debut? Nope. Ugh, guys, it's the Adams Family. What? Oh, I knew that. Adams. I, the timing threw me off. I wasn't sure what came first. Yep. So, Seinfeld obviously, I mean, had a very prestigious directorial career. He did all right. He did all right. Yeah. It is two to one. Two to one. Jumps on right. Mary McCheese over Captain Cash and the J Man number four. When their insane commando truck comes bearing through the quarry, the sound effect is the same as this one. Is it A, the light cycle in Tron? B, the speeders in Return of the Jedi? C, the DeLorean from Back to the Future? Or D, Luke Skywalker's land speeder in Star Wars A New Hope? Drop the duck. Captain Cash. It's the land speeders. It's Luke Skywalker's land speeder in Star Wars 1. That is correct. So that brings us to a tie. Just in time for our last question, which, by the way has a bonus question. Oh, boy. Oh, so it has a bonus One of us could question. bury the other. Number five. This film was nominated for three Golden Raspberries. Which one of these was not one of them? I repeat, was not one of them. Was it A, Worst Actor for Stallone? 
Was it B, Worst Supporting Actor for Kurt Russell? Was it C, Worst Supporting Actress for Kurt Russell in drag? Or was it D, Worst Screenplay for Randy Feldman? Drop the duck. Captain Cash. Best Supporting for Kurt Russell. That is correct. Yeah, because they definitely gave him... Is which one? They that was not. Uh, he was not nominated for worst supporting actor. He was nominated for worst supporting actress. Now, ah, once again, <laughs> the casual transphobia of the eighties. Everyone. Yes. So just to, just to be clear, are you meaning to tell me that Stallone got nominated for a, for a Razzie for his work as Ray Tango? Yeah. Every movie we've done, he's been nominated. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like he should not have been nominated. For he should not have been nominated for Ray Tango I did not deserve a Razzie at all here's the surest thing you can know about the Razzies they purposely nominate very popular people to get people to watch the show so now in saying that Stallone did win an award that night can any of you name it now think about this this is the last big movie of 1989 coming out December 22nd. I'm sure he got like worst actor of the decade. That is correct and we have a draw. <laughs> oh no. He was worst. I'll, and that, I'll bring the beer worst actor of the decade. <laughs> he was the worst actor of the decade. That's pretty brutal. <laughs> That's also very brutal. Yeah. Rocky 3 and Rocky 4 both came out in 83 and 85 respectively. I think, and then... I think those contributed to the award. <laughs> I, know, I, I think the most brutal thing the Razzies did was to nominate his co-star in Over the Top. That kid was like 14, yeah. 15. Yeah. Don't forget, we yeah, also had a child. We had Over the Top, Rambo 2, Rambo 3, uh, those aforementioned Rocky sequels, which I love them, but they, they're interesting. And they're not <laughs> Terrible. No. Hey, guys, guys, don't forget time. Rambo Three. That's the Rambo dedicated to the freedom fighters of the Taliban. Of the Taliban. So, yeah, worst actor of the decade. I I'm sure there was better options, but none of them were quite as popular as Sylvester Stallone. So, good news. Your two teams will be splitting. One of you will get the ass end. The other will. One of you will get the mouth end with the gun of Owen's murder dog. That does I not at all look mouth. real. Always mouth. No, I, I, I assume one of us would get the left cheek of Stallone's ass, and the other would get the right cheek of Stallone's ass. Is that is that not how this works? Well, I'll also frame each of you close-ups of the butts. Oh, cheek to oh, cheek, solid. walking oh, down. Obviously, obviously, I want Kurt Russell. Cheek yeah. to cheek. Cheek to cheek. Ass to ass. Ass to ass. Okay, so hold way, on. Can I just mention something, guys? Uh, I looked up the worst actor of the decade category from 1989, and the people that were nominated along with Sylvester Stallone, it says here Ryan O'Neill, who was in Fever Pitch, Partners So Fine, and Tough Guys Don't Dance, Christopher Atkins, Prince, and John Travolta. Those were the those were the nominees. Oh, Travolta. Well, I mean, oh, Travolta. That's Prince. That's like sort of insulting. He's in like what two movies? He literally one movie He's in under one the movie. cherry. Uh, Travolta yeah, you don't always no, You don't nominate Prince. But, yeah, no. I mean, when we did Travolta Month, like, every movie we did, he's he was nominated as well. So it's... 
I think Travolta has the record as like the most zero Rotten Tomatoes movies of any major Hollywood actor. Travolta's very close to getting a Razzie nomination for a commercial performance now that he's Santa Claus in a Capital One commercial. Oh, oh God. no, I no, haven't seen I, I'm that. just saying he, he might get a Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, love, I love Johnny T. I love him. So let's take a quick break. We come back. We're going to do recommendations plus a few uh, quick bonus. Well, our recommendations will be one of the bonus questions. Uh, we'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to the 86th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeTheFans.com. This is our final segment. It is recommendations, but we do have a unique spin this week. I have two questions. One, your recommendation, but your recommendation should be your favorite mismatched buddy action comedy or just buddy action movie of all time and two after watching sylvester stallone ping pong through various levels of testosterone and uh how close he was yeah how close he was to having a heart attack in certain movies we watched uh what did you learn about sloan so in one sense what did you learn about sloan and before that your buddy comedy recommendation i will defer to our guest who i will also prior to the end of the show give a little more time to pump up the double turn but for now those two questions j-man well again gentlemen just let me say this it's been an absolute pleasure i really appreciate you having me on um so my recommendation for a buddy cop film i'm gonna go rush hour two because I mean, it was it's Chris Tucker at his absolute best, and Jackie Chan is absolutely glorious. And I just feel like people on this panel are going to go ahead and drop the lethal weapons and and forty eight hours. And I figured I'd diverse it up a little bit. And I mean, Rush Hour Two is potentially better than Rush Hour One. And no, it, I agree. That was a great really, movie. Really great. It's better than one. I was about to say, no one's going to push back on you here. Okay, I just want to make sure, yeah. Because Rush Hour 2 is definitely fire, and I highly, highly, highly recommend that film. Um, And then what did I learn about Sylvester Stallone? That he is definitely somebody who likes to try and portray different characters. Sometimes it doesn't always work for him, but sometimes it absolutely does. And I can really take from the – take – Take this to heart and state Sylvester Stallone, it seems like, wanted to be more than just an action star. He, he, he liked storytelling, legitimate storytelling. And I think that sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle of his 40-plus years in the business. Okay, McCheese. All right, so for my buddy comedy, and I'm, it's going to be a comedy, I'm going with Turner and Hooch. And I don't know how you can really talk shit about that it's a fantastic movie so we'll just move on um as far as the sly retrospective goes i i I think stallone does better in the gritty uh almost introspective movies that he does rambo rocky and when they try to i mean he's a huge action star but when they try to throw him into some of these movies it just feels like it doesn't land and we get we get a lot of these like stop or my mom will shoot kind of things where 
it's just unnecessary. Like you go back and watch any Rambo and you're like, fuck, that's awesome. And then you watch stop my mom and you're shooting. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I mean, I think you're on the right track. Cause I'm going to expand. I mean, I, I just, I don't know how to extrapolate from there because I like, I love him in certain roles. And then in other roles, it seems like either he was just the Hollywood star that Hollywood wanted or it was just poor choices or bad directing or whatever, whatever. But like you put him in the right role in the right movie and he fucking crushes it. And then you put him in something like this. And even still, you're like, well, Kurt Russell was better. And what you're trying to say is he has limited range. Yeah. And I guess, I guess my wish is he should have stuck to that range, but it was the eighties and nineties and movies made a shitload of money. So you're going to put, Everyone and everything. Yeah, uh, Captain Cash. My recommendation for this week is going to be go on Twitter and use the hashtag Save Daredevil. I'm a big fan of Daredevil. As of literally today, when we are recording this, uh, Daredevil is back in Marvel's hands. So I'd very much like Charlie Cox, Vinny D'Onofrio, uh, John Bernthal, all back as Daredevil, Kingpin, Punisher, Honestly, and even the supporting cast was great. That's my big push recommendation. Uh, as far as what I have learned about Sylvester Stallone, I feel like I've learned a lot. Uh, the first thing I've learned is Sylvester Stallone has a complex where he feels like he needs to not act the physical parts of what he does. Uh, he demands to actually do the, the arm wrestling for over the top. Like, for real. He demands that Ivan Drago actually punch him in Rocky IV. Almost always to his detriment. Uh, I've also learned that if you're going to get a Stallone movie, you're going to get a shitload of really great character actors. Like, at any point, like, look at any of the movies that we've done, and it is full of people you know who have gone on to have really prolific and great careers. Uh, And the third thing I've learned is if you are a woman and starring in a film with Sylvester Stallone, you must be at a minimum or you must be around rather 20 years, either younger or older than him. Yeah. I mean, those are all very valid points and some of them are more, distressing than others i will say that if you were a young woman who started a movie with sylvester stallone over like the 80s or the 90s you if you had just gotten started you were on the trajectory to superstardom more than likely because diane lane i mean i feel like she bullock uh oh my god 20 years 20 years his senior but still Let's put it this way. If you're starring in the movie with Sylvester Stallone, you're going to end up doing a lot better than somebody who's starring in the movie with, uh, you know, somebody like Steven Seagal or Steven Seagal or John Claude Van Damme, Van Damme, Van Damme. One day we'll discuss like the hierarchy and there are classes of action stars and there's the A list action stars and there's the B list action stars and there's the C list and the D list. Uh, And Stallone even though this is going to go against what I have to say in a moment, was an A-list action star 
Steven Seagal 100%. is part of the shit your pants list of action stars. He yeah. can go to hell. Which he's he's right up there with the times. guy that does the kickboxer sequels after JVD. Uh, well, actually, oh, Sasha, Sasha Mitchell, who was a yeah. domestic abuser and also starves step by step. Step by step, who, yeah. Who was the white guy that did American Warrior? Who was the white guy who did uh, American, American Ninja? Ninja? Well, yeah, that guy. I can't remember his name, but those oh, are canon uh, films. Canon films, yeah. But yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about, yeah. Michael Dudikoff. Him, him and Van Dam, or him and him and uh, oh, not God Van Dam. Seagal. Not, yeah, him and Seagal. One yeah. to one. Michael Dudikoff is the American Ninja. <laughs> Has at least a modicum of, you know, self awareness, and you know, he's at least uh, very. No, apparently, he was a complete monster on the set of Street Fighter. Well, he had an affair on his wife and did a lot of drugs. Apparently, supplied by John Peters. World traveling drug truck. Whoa! <laughs> I believe right. it. Poor Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, Chubzilla, what do you got? Okay. Um, best buddy cop slash action movie. I'm going to take the obvious answer, and I'm going to go with America's Sweetheart, Kurt Russell, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, mm. I think that's the movie that took this formula and turned it on its ear, and had fun with it, and it mostly works. But it does definitely get its like WTF moment akin to the murder truck when you get the weird eyeball monster thing that I'm assuming took the up like the holder? The, the beholder. beholder. Wait, wait. But, that is your WTF moment? There's a man who's old and decrepit in a wheelchair who turns into a floating spectral ghost. There's a monster who carries away Gracie Law. Okay, the, the the monster's pretty bad too, but like the super weird special there's, effects. There's are, three Asian gods who are the three storms. The three storms <laughs> but, are perfect. There's no problem with that scene. But, but your problem is the boulder. Egg the monster Shen has a has a a satchel full of magical gems, and a liquor that will make you immortal. For a I feel pretty good. Pretty great. I, I've had that liquor. It's awesome. No, but my point is, yeah, the the, uh, the monster and the beholder, uh, you question where you're at for a moment, but the rest of that movie is so strong, and Kurt Russell just charms your pants off. It's awesome. And I think that's the movie that this you movie wanted Han, to be. Man. I think, I, exactly. I think this that's what this movie was trying to be. It wanted to be like Big Trouble in L.A., but they just couldn't make it happen. No, this movie wanted to be Lethal Weapon, but with loaded weapon uh spliced into it even though that wasn't a thing yet but it yeah like it has scenes that are literally ripped from something like loaded weapons such as every scene with owen and the insane freaking weapons warehouse he works in and his giant no freaking magnifying glass monocle all that stuff yeah uh yeah so what did I learn from this movie? Uh, or not this movie, but all these sly Stallone movies. I've learned a lot. And <clears throat> I will say that Stallone is clearly better behind the scenes and behind the camera than he is in front of it. Which is strange to say because I, I mentioned he had really good movies in Rocky and First Blood. Like Sly's not a bad actor, but we've established he has limited range. But he's done so much 
in his career behind the scenes. And I understand his competition with Arnold, but I think he should take, you know, solace in the fact that he's been successful in ways that Arnold will never be successful. Sly, it's okay, buddy. Just, just you do you. It's okay. You're doing pretty good. Well, but well, yeah, <laughs> six-time Mr. Olympia, uh, which is yeah, yeah. Stallone could well, never achieve, not even in well, the small man's category, which he'd right, certainly right. be in yeah. because he's much smaller than he's <laughs> short. Yeah, yeah, he's the same size as Kurt Russell, and he's apparently extremely short. He's also I, Santa I, Claus, so watch your mouth. Don't speak yeah. to Kurt that way. I will wipe that from my mouth, but. I think the most interesting thing I have learned in all the research I've done on these Stallone movies is that he was working on a script for the movie that would become Beverly Hills Cop. But because they couldn't come to an agreement, much like this movie, as to the tone, whether it should be funny or, or serious and gritty, he left the project, took that script with him, or at least the ideas from it, and that became Cobra. That is true. And I remind Which you blows my mind. I'm like, cause I, I can't see Sly Stallone in Beverly Hills cop as Axel. No, he would have been a uh, judge Ryan Holt's character. Uh, I think so. No, I think, of course I think he would have been I, Axel. I, I, He's not going to be the fucking dipshit. Who's not good well, at anything. Okay. Okay. Well, that's my point. It's like, but I can't, I literally can't even like fathom that. But it's just, it's just kind of like your inside view. It's, hey, this is how the sausage gets made. You know, I saw these movies work out. And then... I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, this was supposed to be one sentence about what you learned about Sylvester mm-hmm. Stallone. One sentence. That was one sentence. <laughs> well, thank you for that lengthy, lengthy uh, Wikipedia... <laughs> Wikipedia entry to... Wikipedia. The history of Sylvester Stallone. Here's what I learned about Stallone. Uh, the rivalry between him and Schwarzenegger was the worst thing that could happen to his career because his ego ruined what was so great about him. Rocky, Oscar-winning movie. Nope, nope, we gotta keep pumping Rocky full of steroids and make him bigger, 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 bigger because that's what people want. Rambo, really important movie about the atrocities of going to war and coming home and being rejected by your own country. No, 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 no. He's got to be bigger. He's got to be bigger. So that's just it for me. Like the rivalry was not good for him because he took it a lot more seriously than Arnold. who just said, I'm going to make a lot of great action movies. And Sloan's like, oh, no, no. I, now I can ruin things that were really, really great for my career. And that's how you win worst actor of the decade. My recommendation and this might be cheating, maybe, is True Lies, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, His mismatched partner would be Tom Arnold. I think they are a dynamite duo. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a huge Tom Arnold fan, but he's very funny in True Lies. It is a great James Cameron movie, and a quick aside, Jimmy James Cameron, you've got to remaster True Lies. There's zero excuse for... For this being the year 2020 and the only available version of True Lies being standard definition. That is a travesty. True Lies is one of the great 90s action movies. If you haven't seen it, uh, probably wait until it's in HD. If you're averse to like things looking like mucked up shit, which a lot of the movie does. But it is fantastic. So 
In closing, remember you can find our show at Hops and B.O. Flops on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find myself at WriterTMLK on Twitter. You can find Captain Cash when he's not swimming in his money pit with the rest of the young ducks at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on almost all social media. Young Ducks, my band name. Yeah, hashtag. You can find Chumpzilla scouring Wikipedia for all the most insane weird shit imaginable and at Chumpzilla8 on Twitter. You can find Mayor McCheese at H-B-O-F McCheese on Twitter. J-Man, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at the one and only jman19. You can find the Double Turn at Double Turn Podcast on Instagram as well as basically every streaming platform that is available. And you can find my co-host Boss Ross at Ross the Real Boss eighty five as well as Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. And apparently he's on Parlor now, which I didn't know really was a thing, but he's very proud of that. So post uh, Parlor. I don't. I mean, hey, I'm, no, I'm with you. Guys. No, no, I, no. I told no. him to start a TikTok instead, right. but he chose not. Let's let it go, man. Let it go. That's cool. So, uh, no. Big shot. Big shout out to the Double Turn. Great wrestling content. Not because I'm sometimes on there talking about the Undertaker nearly killing grown men on accident, <laughs> but because or pro, pro wrestling is great. Go knee lift your neighbor. Drop an elbow drop. And if you love our show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Connect with us on social media to share ideas for future episodes like uh, If Looks Could Kill. And we'll see you next week for our first entry in our December slash beginning of January Holiday Hops and Box Office Flop series for The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, which is a thing that I guess happened a couple of years ago. And boo! Now, boo! Yeah. Hard boo! Thus, I leave you this. I don't know about you, but I have an aversion to getting FUBAR. Yes, I think that acronym was used for the first time in this movie. We'll see you for whatever hell the Nutcracker in the Four Realms is.